The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Breaking Trade Deadline Edition. This is TC Zanka. Uh, We're waiting for just one moment as Tim Jackson is getting ready to hop on with me here. There's a lot going on all over the baseball world right now. The latest talk is Max Scherzer and Trey Turner being traded to the Dodgers. I can't even, I can't even, you guys, I cannot even. So we're going we're gonna to wait and see what happens there. So just let me give you a quick recap of where we're at right now as all this madness moves right along and we, and we see if Tim can find his way through another brutal northeastern storm so just today we've already seen a lot of action and we're still a day away from the actual deadline so i'm recording this right now thursday night at 8 15 eastern the trade deadline is tomorrow at 4 p.m eastern so there's a lot of time left and yet we still have already seen anthony rizzo finally get traded from the cubs to the Yankees of all places. All the talk was the Red Sox, but the Yankees came in at the last minute, took them away for a couple of pretty decent prospects going to Cubs way. The Cubs are footing the bill. The Yankees have also picked up Joey Gallo, who, unlike Rizzo, is signed beyond this season. He has one additional season. Part of this uh, was potentially made possible by dealing some money previously. They sent Justin Wilson and Luis Sessa to the Reds, which saved the Yankees about $1.4 million. Small dealings, but they matter. They also picked up Clay Holmes from the Yankees. The Yankees picked up Clay Holmes from the Pirates. Clay Holmes is a kind of a middling middle reliever, but he has a massive ground ball number. He burns more worms than any, just about anybody in the major leagues. So he's an interesting guy for the Yankees pen, and he fits what they're usually trying to do. Otherwise, we also have seen uh, Ryan Tepera, Set up man for the Cubs, get traded cross down to the White Sox. Uh, Diego Castillo wrapped up the kind of wacky dealings coming out of Seattle. Diego Castillo went from the Rays to the Mariners after the Mariners had dealt Kendall Graven to the Astros. So a lot, a lot going on. It's pretty confusing. Competitors, you know, contenders right now are trading closers and relief guys to each other interdivision there's all sorts of stuff going on uh brad hand the nationals closer he went to the bougies today for a relatively modest return of catcher riley adams uh 
the people who needed second baseman all got them. The Brewers picked up Eduardo Escobar. The White Sox picked up Cesar, Cesar Hernandez. Uh, the Dodgers are getting Danny Duffy, but he's hurt. So I'm not sure when they're going to actually get him. The return there is a player to be named later, probably depending on when he actually is healthy again. The Astros, along with Kendall Graveman, also picked up Yemi Garcia. The A's, in a relatively shocking move, picked up Starling Marte in exchange for Jesus Lazardo. Five years of Jesus, Jesus Lazardo, formerly a top five prospect overall in baseball. He goes, he goes to the uh, Marlins, who now have even more pitching. Uh, the big thing we are still waiting on, however, is what is going to happen with Max Scherzer. Is he going to get dealt to the Padres as we first suspected, or will the Dodgers come through here with some sort of massive deal for both Max and Trey Turner? I mean, it really, the Nationals really are in a brilliant position here. As much as teams have not been trading prospects of note, he's, the Nats can, can pit the, the Padres and the Dodgers and the Giants all against each other in a real opportunity here to get some prospect capital, which they desperately need. So, you know, I do not want to see Mad Max and Turner go to the Dodgers. That would be kind of heartbreaking. But at the same time, if they can get a catching prospect, like keep it Ruiz back, they do not have a guy like that in the system at all, and he's plug and play pretty much. Like if they could get Gavin Lux as part of that, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, get used to Gavin Lux at shortstop again. He's plug and play, and, and, and he's ready to go. Josiah Gray is somebody who they might be thinking about. Dustin May, who's, who just went under, you know, Tommy John was going to be out to the middle of the next season, but lots of possibilities there. Obviously, there are guys further down the system. Whether or not prospects even that high up, whether or not they're going to be on the table here, you know, it's hard to know. It's, it's, but Van Max and Turner, those would be pretty much the highest profile guys we've seen dealt in a long while. So you would think that the Dodgers' best prospect would be on the table, especially because. You know, normally they aren't. Normally they wouldn't not be. But this is the one situation where you might see them uh, be out there because they're dealing with the Padres and because they're dealing with the Giants and because there's not comparable talent out there. There is no other Mad Max. There's no other Max Scherzer. So if there's going to be that kind of monster deal, this would be it. So we'll see what happens there. We are going to uh, wait and see and then check in with Tim. Tim is under siege right now in the... Uh, you know, once, once the storm settles down there and he gets some internet back, we're going to get him back on here. And we will see what is breaking at that point. We'll be back. All right, TC, we're here. We found out finally what happened with Max Scherzer and in a much bigger note, Trey Turner too, as they go to the Dodgers for a four different pos- prospect bounty really from the Dodgers to the Nationals uh, headlined by Kiebert Ruiz and Josiah Gray after you see all the buildup with Scherzer potentially going to the Padres he's snaked out from under them by a division rival that's going to be a bigger dogfight when you see Scherzer finally land somewhere how did you feel I mean I, I honestly can't believe it I am both so sad that he is going to go play for the, the evil Dodgers and also, not evil Dodgers, but, you know, at least, you know, Dodgers that I'm jealous of because they're so good. <laughs> so I must villainize them. Uh, but, you know, kind of evil, maybe, maybe a little bit. But, you know, the Turner part is just devastating. My mother-in-law last night was like, what's the point? 
what, what, <laughs> what's even the point? She, she was so upset. And it's fair. It's totally fair. I mean, those are big guys. Those are huge guys who have been, been a part of DC sports. For, they've been the face of DC sports for so long now. At the same time, you know, the Dodgers, the Dodgers get Max Scherzer. This is a gigantic, this is the guy, like the guy you want to get. Like maybe even, you know, if you want to pick, if you have a one game playoff, which the Dodgers might, and you need to go with one guy, he's, he's a top five pick. If you go league wide, if you give every, all the, all the pitchers available, they're, they're all available. You don't know how they've been pitching the past two weeks, just on their overall track record. It's 2021. You get one pitcher to start this game. Scherzer, he's not against that wall for long. He is like a top five pick for that game. And now the, the Dodgers have two of them, maybe three of them. I mean, as much as I hate to say it, I hope the Dodgers win this division because I want to see all I want to see Walker Bueller. I want to see Clayton Kershaw. I want to see Max Scherzer. I want to see them all pitch in the playoffs. It, one game is not enough. Yeah, it's it's really not. And I guess if they really had to and things got weird, they could also line those guys up to like piggyback in, in a in a terrible, devastating start in a wide one card playoff. But it's interesting you frame it around the idea of Scherzer being a guy who is like top five, give him the ball, one game playoff. You need it to keep the season alive. Uh, Eric Longenhagen of Fangraph said the same thing in his write up of the trade there that uh, Scherzer was always his answer to that. Uh, whereas fans often commented on the question that they'd asked him saying they would pick Kershaw. And now they're both there in the same rotation. Uh, presumably, I guess, thinking about it now, Tony Gonsolin stays in the rotation. I, I would assume here David Price is bumped or maybe Julio Urias is bumped uh, for uh, some higher leverage relief roles when, um, when Kershaw is finally back and healthy uh, if they're trying to save his arm. Is there a trickle-down effect here for, I guess, one, the rotation, and two, the the NL West? Yeah, I mean, for the rotation, now they have four Cy Youngs in the pitching for them. I mean, Scherzer and David Price back together. I hope Price stays in the rotation for a while. Get that old Tiger pride. I don't know if he'll stay for long. I think Price will be in there for a while, actually. We'll see. There's still plenty of time. for them. I mean, they got Danny Duffy, too. The Dodgers also have Danny Duffy coming. He's he's hurt, so it's going to take some time for him to actually join the rotation. In terms of the West, the West is an absolute mess. I don't know what's going to happen out there right now. I mean, the rest of the season, it's still anybody's game. The the Giants got have a couple of games head start. They picked up Chris Bryant today, which is a gigantic get for them. The Padres, surprisingly, after you know when everything started with this Max to the Padres news, that falls apart. And ultimately, the Padres don't really get much. And they're, they, they kind of look like a distant third right now. They're a couple games back. And they did not get any. I mean, they picked up Jake Marisnik at the very end of the end of the deadline. It's like obligatory trade deadline acquisition, Jake Marisnik. Yeah, big deal. I mean, but for the Dodgers, this is huge. And, and Trey Turner's an even bigger get. Trey Turner is gigantic for the Dodgers. Trey Turner and Mookie Betts. If they're healthy, one, two at the top of the order. That's insane. Trey Turner well, is me... super underrated, and that's I just can't even imagine what that lineup's gonna look like right now. That's what I wanted to run by you is that Turner and his speed is really game changing, I guess, in this respect. The Dodgers don't run a lot. Uh they only have collectively oh boy, where'd it go? There it is. Okay. Uh they only have thirty two steals on the season. 
that ranks 25th in baseball. Um, now with ties, you know, they're, they're not the 25th most stealing team, but they're down toward the bottom of the whole league. Trey Turner has 21 steals himself. He had almost half of the national steals. Now he goes to a team. Do you think they would let him run? Do you think they'd set him up to run? Do you think they would be more like, hey, you know what? Our, our lineup is dynamic as all get out. We don't need you to run. Like, just hang tight. Let's see where you can burn that speed around, you know, going first to third. No, no, I think they're going to let him run. I mean, you don't. Trey Turner is the type of guy that you let run. Like, it doesn't matter what your team philosophy is. Like, Trey Turner has that kind of speed. He is so fast. He's a top top five speed in baseball year after year. It's like him and Tim LeCastro for the fastest guy in baseball every year. Billy Hamilton, if he's rostered, which is only some of the time. I mean, he's as, as, as powerful of a bat as he is and as, an, as all around of a superstar as he's become. Speed is still probably his most impressive skill, even if it's not his, even if I don't think it's his most impactful skill anymore. So, yeah, I think the Dodgers do let him run. I think they, they take that as an added element to their office, a way to make them even more dynamic. And, you know, yeah, they're going to tell him, oh, you know, don't run into outs, please. And he's going to say, yeah, okay, I know. I'm Trey Turner, World Series <laughs> champion. Thank you very much. And they're going to let him do his thing. And it's going to it's going to work for the most part. I mean, that's what he does. I don't think you get Trey Turner to try to turn him into something else, except, of course, a second baseman, which is presumably what the Dodgers are going to do. Maybe. I, I'm not sure where they're going to play him. That's another question. Right. I don't think it matters if you're if the, your problem is oh you're not sure whether you should play Corey Seager or Trey Turner at shortstop, like yeah your problems are not my problems, sir. So <laughs> well, it's funny you even mentioned that right now they have two shortstops on their roster as uh, as Fangraphs has updated their roster resource as much as they can. <laughs> uh, actually, it's not as much as they can because Turner is not on there just yet. Um, Chris Taylor is listed as a shortstop and Corey Seager is listed as a shortstop, so. Uh, maybe they'll just get wild and run them both out there in the in, in the gap between second and third. Uh, I, can we say enough that this really does have a pronounced impact on the West, though? Like you mentioned the Padres as a distant third at this point, and it's not even that the the Dodgers snuck Scherzer out from under their nose. It's that they got Turner on top of them. And that now it's like, again, a dogfight of a division. The Padres at 60 and 45 coming into play today, the 30th, uh, right after the trade deadline. Five and a half back of the division, two and a half back of these Dodgers. They probably just added a couple wins in L.A. What do they do? Like, what is the state of that locker room or that team at this point? Is it just or that front office? Is it just like absolute frustration? Is it like, uh, whatever, we're already really good. Let's just see what happens. I mean, I think the Padres have had that attitude of like, you know, we're good. We're going to be fine. Like, I don't think that the, the the locker room, I don't think that they're saying, you know, we need to upgrade Eric Hosmer and Will Myers the way the rest of us are saying that. Or that, you know, they need to figure out a way to make sure Jerks and Profar isn't getting significant at-bats. Like, I think that in the clubhouse, because so many of the guys who were struggling are guys who were there last year and who were part of that team that had such amazing chemistry and such amazing fire, I think that they're probably ready to go still. And maybe there's some concern about the pitching staff or but just like, you know, the thought of having being that close to getting Scherzer was I'm sure pretty enticing, but they already have a lot of bulldogs on that in that staff. Like Snell hasn't been great, but there's, there's still time for him to be a high end guy. Again, you Darvish is there. 
Joe Musgrove's been great. Like they have horses, they can get they can get there, so they can beat even Max in a one game playoff. It can happen. And I think with Fernando Tatis Jr. kind of running the show there, I think they definitely feel capable of beating anybody, even still. Yeah, I think that's true, especially given that they have already racked up 60 wins this year, which is impressive in and of itself. Uh, and then on top of that, like, interesting that you mentioned they might not feel the need to replace Hosmer as much as maybe uh, we do as outsiders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was just interesting that Hosmer's name was floated in Joey Gallo rumors in terms of trying to pawn him off onto the Rangers uh, to avoid his salary, but maybe get Gallo back uh, in that sense. So I, I think they were looking to upgrade uh, yeah. or be as creative as possible, but I guess they're still a really, really good team. And as much as it might be disappointing, again, from an outside perspective, or I assume within that front office, it's also still like, oh, we still have Machado. We still have Jake Cronenworth, Drake, Jake Cronenworth who can play all over the field. Uh, Tatis is still Tatis. And yeah, that lineup's still really, really talented and really deep. But you hinted at this a couple of minutes ago that... On top of the Dodgers making this move at the last minute, right under the gun before the 4 o'clock deadline, Chris Bryant went to the Giants from the Cubs uh, for really what feels like a kind of light return, even if he is an expiring contract, given what other guys have been up to uh, so far, what returns have been for players who are on expiring deals. And ultimately, he goes for Alex Canario and Caleb Killian. Uh, guys that are sort of interesting, but I'd be interested to see what the Cubs do with them developmentally as they've done a couple of things differently this year. Uh, is Chris Bryant on the level of a Trey Turner or Max Scherzer addition here? I think he definitely is. I mean, not the both of them together, but I think he definitely has the potential to be that big of a get. And frankly, as far as in a, in a macro sense, I think that might be the best deal of the deadline in terms of buyer, in terms, in terms of the buyers and what they gave up. I mean, the Giants yeah. did not have to move much to get Bryant. Bryant is absolutely an impact bat. He is, he so fits the profile of what the Giants like as being like a high character, team first, white male leader <laughs> who can play all over the field for them. Like he is, he steps right into Evan Longoria's spot for now. He can he can play center even. He can play left and right, and, and where they don't really have surefire guys necessarily. And they were, you know, they had guts. Giants had guts. They waited it out. They waited it out as these other teams were kind of giving up some some bigger names, bigger prospect names moved this trade season than I expected. And it wasn't from the Giants. The Giants waited and waited. And at the end of the day, you know, I started looking around thinking like, is Bryant even going to move? Because who's who's trading for Bryant at this point as we got to those final closing minutes of the of the deadline? Yeah. And it just began to feel like who even needs this guy now, even though there's still many teams that can use him. But once the Mets traded for Baez, the Mets traded for Javi Baez, and the, the Braves had picked up any number of various outfielders. And it just, the, uh, you know, the Dodgers obviously made their big move. It just didn't feel like there was much there was gonna be anybody else out there. And I think the Giants really played this perfectly, waited it out until the Cubs had to kind of take what they could get. And it wasn't quite the return that they were uh that they were expecting. I don't think it was at all. And I guess at some point they they were unlike the Rockies and were like, whatever, like we'll just take just give us whatever you'll you'll want and we'll take it. 
Uh, whereas the Rockies were like, no, we'll keep Trevor Story. Uh, we really value him, even though he explicitly said he's not signing there. Uh, that was a wild storyline, I thought, from this deadline. Yeah. But in terms of fit for a team, I didn't think there was any one player who fit his new team the way Chris Bryant did, like you described, because Bryant does play all over. The Giants love moving guys around the field. They love having guys at different positions uh, to be able to move them between games or within a game. And they love being able to uh, really facilitate their lineup and whatever they feel is the best way possible. And Bryant, like we we talked about him a couple of weeks ago when we were trying to send him to the Mets because that seemed to make too much sense. Although now Baez does a lot of that work for them too. You know, Bryant's still having an amazing year. He's OPSing like over 950 uh, or 8 850, almost like 860. So uh, not as absurd as 950, but still really good. Um, still able to play all over the place, still probably having it, you know, on pace for one of his better years, uh, really back to himself. And that one is interesting because it just seems like the pieces fit in so cleanly there. Uh, you know, you snap Chris Bryant's puzzle piece into the puzzle of the Giants, and it just, like, you know that's the fit. You know that one works. You know it's going to play. And like you're saying, it does immediately fill that Evan Longoria-sized void. Uh, it takes some pressure off of Tommy Lestella, who they, they might be able to deploy in different matters now. Uh, and again, like they didn't have to give up the equivalent of Kiebert Ruiz or Josiah Gray. And I know that when the Dodgers added Scherzer and Trey Turner, they also added Turner for next year, which takes them out of the shortstop market, which is a huge, huge deal. But Yeah, that is a huge deal that we haven't touched on yet because it does – means Corey Seager's days are done? Probably. Probably yeah, after the season? Or they, you know, they make Chris Taylor even more of a super utility. And uh, if Gavin Lux there too, it seems like Seager's probably, it seems like they made their choice. Yeah. And Turner's probably the right choice over Seager. And, you know, finally, let the Nats sign Seager this offseason. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it didn't cut you off. <laughs> no, no, no. That's fine. It, it, you're, you're right on with that. That it, It's a huge deal that it does set up the Dodgers beyond this year uh, and potentially even longer than that. You know, if they really get into it with Turner and they like what he does and he plays well, kind of like a bet situation and they extend him, they're out of that race. But they paid huge. Like, Kiebert Ruiz has been a monster. He's barely struck out more than he's walked this year. His ISO is over, like, 300 in AAA. Uh, Josiah Gray could step in and be a number three or, you know, on it, like, very clearly... Uh, on his way to being a number three right away. Uh, like foundational pieces for the Nationals went back to them in that trade, whereas there's nothing foundational about what the Cubs get, got back for Bryant. So in a, in a pure value vacuum and a pure fit vacuum, it seems as though Bryant, I, I would agree, is like the most sensible, best move of the day. Yeah, I mean, I think that I wonder what the Padres were getting set to give up for Scherzer, and I wonder if it would have been something kind of similar here because – if that was the price for, you know, a couple of months, then you can kind of understand why the Nationals started dangling Turner to see what else they could get. Because you're right, Ruiz and Gray aren't just good prospects. They're great prospects, and they're major league-ready prospects who, like, the Nets turned around and traded Jan Gomes, too, because they're, they're ready to give the job to Ruiz. And, you know, they traded for Riley Adams from the Blue Jays a day earlier, who can be a backup along with Trace Barrera, and they're just... Once you get Ruiz, it's like, okay, Gomes, your days are done here. You were great, but you're not the guy that this team needs right now. Ruiz 
comes in from day one, he can they can start looking towards the future to see if he can be a foundational lineup piece with Soto. And and Gray, same thing in the rotation. He's he's ready to go now. And he could I mean he's better he in terms of town alone, he should be in the Nats rotation right now. They might give him a couple yeah. of weeks just to see what they've got with him in triple A, but I mean he's he's not the Nats ace now, but maybe <laughs> like i mean i mean he, he might be like joe i mean joe ross is he better than joe ross right now probably not but he might be very very soon and he and could be better than joe ross now so i mean he's, he's a big time piece you know the, for the cubs alex canario he's good he's an interesting looking outfielder but that's all he is he's an interesting looking outfielder he's not much more than than a wild card who's still a couple years from the majors so you're right like these are Big time pieces that the Dodgers gave up, but if you're the Dodgers, you know they are big time pieces. But also, you've got Will Smith, you've got the best catcher in baseball yeah. potentially, and Ruiz right now, like good on the Dodgers. Really, it's it's maybe silly to say like, oh yeah, good on them for trading for Scherzer and Turner. Like, <laughs> you know, big deal. Of course, that's what you do. But they had. It's hard, I think, when you have a piece that's clearly extraneous in your system. And to still get something of significant value for that. Because if the Dodgers called around solely with Keeper Ruiz one at one for one, teams are looking at them being like, dude, like we know you have Will Smith. We're not gonna treat this guy like he's a like you, you know, like you're giving up an arm and a leg here. We understand right. that he's an extra piece for you. That's a tough piece to sell and to really get value for. But they did get value for him here. And for the Nats, credit them for not working too hard to make sure that you know the deal hurt the Dodgers as much as that helped them. They come away with the pieces that they needed. And it ends up being, a, it looks now like it's a trade that works for both sides. Every which way. And the Nats seem to operate in such a way that really does prioritize how much better they get as opposed to how much damage it might do to another team. Uh, and this isn't even a thing with the Dodgers where it's like, oh, they gave up too much. I also think it's great that they made the move. Uh, I think it's great that they are willing to use both their prospect and financial capital to make what is basically a super team in like a video game. Yeah. Uh, the trade made sense for everybody and it just it's different it's a different flavor than the Chris Bryant trade and what I'll be interested to see is how um, you know, especially if the Giants go on a run how interested Bryant is in going to free agency you know if he's really a part of it because uh, he's he's been a part of teams that go on runs you know like that could be a big deal too and yeah uh, that that's I guess that's a different look. That's something really to consider for the off season. But you mentioned it with the Nats in terms of really going for it, not making it too hard. Now I'm really thinking toward the NL East, across the country, where the Mets add Javi Baez, and that reshapes their infield. Uh, the Phillies added Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy at the, the cost of Spencer Howard as the as the headliner, and. All of these moves struck me differently. The, the Mets move seemed appropriate. The Nats move seemed very concentrated on the Nats. Let's prioritize us and figure out some other pieces later as we get some core pieces. The Phillies move was the most confusing because I don't know how much of a difference maker it is when the team you're chasing just added a player who is instantly their most productive hitter. So I, when you look at the NL East and the scope of things, on top of Atlanta adding every which outfielder, how do you see things yeah. shaking out? Like, did everybody seize the opportunities the same way that the Giants and the Dodgers might have? But there are different needs, and that's what that's what made this trade season so fascinating. Is like 
thank goodness we have divisions because yeah. this is what made the Nats the Nats what gave the Nats such an opportunity having the Padres and Giants and Dodgers all fighting for this one guaranteed playoff spot and the two wildcard spots that's really made this trade season happen along with in the American League the same thing out there in the in the East and the West where the the yeah. A's and Astros maybe push each other a little bit a little bit but even more so in the AL East we have the Yankees and Blue Jays and Red Sox and Rays all making moves here because they know that they're in a dogfight. And they know that if they don't, every guy that they don't get is a guy that one of their immediate rivals might potentially get. And, and in the NL East, there's, it's, it's like a very, you know, soft core version of that, of whatever the real, <laughs> real race is, right? It's like the Braves probably played it, you know, I would say like of the four teams, you have like the Nats played the 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 rebuild best. The Mets probably played the contend best. The the Braves played the the soft contend best, and the Phillies played the soft contend worst. Like or like of the, those like four pieces. Like the Phillies did okay, yeah. but the Dodgers, the, the Braves did is they just like they hedged, right? They hedged. They got every they got all the strongest, cheapest outfielders they could find. <laughs> you know, hit home runs and 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 you know, put mashed together to try to make up for Acuna without giving up much of note. The Phillies, <laughs> Phillies all season. I'm pretty sure that the Phillies, for some reason, like, like Spencer Howard killed Dave Dombrowski's dog or something. And this whole season was just about crushing Spencer Howard's spirit and making sure that he, you know, regretted that he ruined the day that Philadelphia Phillies ever called him. Cause this feel it was, it felt like the perfect culmination of a, Oh man, we sure did screw this prospect. Let's quick get what we can for him now, and, and, and swapping him out for Kyle Gibson. Who, I mean, Gibson has a—he's not a free pending free agent, right? Like they have him for a year or two. Yeah. So that's you know, there's something there, and and you know, they didn't give up much besides him, I guess. But yeah, I think that I think that the Mets are still far and away here the the favorite. I mean, they Javi Baez is a great pickup for them. He can be. He does not have to be the centerpiece there, which is exactly the role he should be in. Even giving Trevor Williams as a depth rotation piece has been optioned to AAA for now. But like we've talked about all season long with the Mets, like they have made sure that depth has been key for them. And yeah. it's worked as, as we've seen the Nats depth fall apart to the point where they had to completely rebuild. The, the Braves depth fell apart to the point where they've had to trade for pieces here and there. And, and the Phillies too don't have the outfield. rotation pieces. Yeah. I mean, whole well, not, whole, there was Eddie Rosario. Knew. They didn't bring and, Duvall back. They just reinstated him. Yeah, well, after they DFA'd him, uh, they, <laughs> they trade to reacquire Adam Duvall. They trade for Eddie Rosario. Uh, and who else? Who am I missing? Soler. Yeah, Jorge Soler from uh, the Royals, who really shouldn't play the outfield probably, right? Like, he should probably just DH yeah. uh, or play a very, uh, very still left field. Yeah. Uh, but they also have Jack Peterson there, so they, they get some lineup uh, diversity with being able to move guys around and piece them together that way. Um, I just I don't know what to make of what the Phillies did uh, when that that rumor came out a little bit like considerable amount of time before the deal went through for Gibson and Kennedy, where Spencer Howard would be the centerpiece. For as many deals happened this year. And for as quickly as they happened, we did not 
know who was involved in them. Like there were multiple trades. We had to wait out to figure uh, who was involved. But the Phillies had Spencer Howard's name out there early. And nothing says the Phillies more than this move in the sense that they acquire a veteran like Gibson, who's been throwing a lot of ground balls, right? He's getting the grounders, who will now play behind a really terrible defense. Uh, on top of Kennedy as like an expiring piece for uh, another patchwork bullpen option, all at the expense of a top prospect you very clearly did not have a plan for at all this season, never asserted a plan at any given point, and then said, we just can't figure out what's wrong with him, and then you gave up on him. And for a team that hasn't developed anything really at all throughout their entire minor leagues, like a lot of this team has been free agents, uh, or trade acquisitions, uh, Segura, Romuto, Harper, McCutcheon, Gregorius. Six of the, the starting nine have not come from the organization. Alec Bohm is up in the air in terms of what he actually is. Reese Hoskins is always kind of frustrating. And then we've got, you know, Odubel Herrera, that they're going to hang our hat on that still for the Phillies. And even, like, they don't have the pieces. Wheeler was an outside acquisition. Nola the only homegrown piece that's that's there. Matt Moore has been a nightmare. Vince Velasquez should have been booted at least two years ago. And this was their move. When they sold their hometown guy, their homegrown guy, didn't really get anything out of him in a sense that helped the club outside of getting him out of the organization. And that is what's so frustrating and also very confusing from their deadline perspective. They lost out on Tyler Anderson. They couldn't agree on another A ball or to to send to the Pirates. Yeah, <laughs> he goes to the Mariners, and this is their response. Really, like it it helps, I guess. Like they're a little better in the now, but you know, like for, I don't know for what at what point do you just measure out their their process to this point and say like you guys really need to take a step back and figure this out one way or another because what you're doing right now is just hanging out in the middle and it's awful because you have teams like Atlanta who have at least tried to do something creative in the wake of Ronald Acuna Jr. being hurt and filling that void. You have teams like the Mets who have decided to flex their spending and fill the gaps where they can. And like you have the Nats who made a very distinct move this, this weekend, you know, this today. Or last night, they planted their flag. They said, this is what we're doing now. I don't know what the Phillies are doing now. I know the Mets are going for it. I know Atlanta's still chasing them. Uh, we know that the Marlins, they made a really good deal when they traded uh, Starling Marte for Jesus Lazardo, right? Like, that was yeah. a great little move. The Phillies are in, like, no man's land. The Phillies, more so than any other team right now, really represent that no man's land territory where they – they didn't buy enough to give themselves a realistic shot at catching the Mets. They needed another starter, even after Gibson. And they gave away their one pitching prospect who felt who you felt good about moving forward. And so it feels like it feels like they've sacrificed a significant piece of the future. And they just they just didn't do it. They didn't do enough. And so if you gotta go one way or the other, you can't be in the middle there. And they the Mets are catchable. It's not like the Mets are so far a field that they, that they can't make a run at them. This isn't, the, they're not the Dodgers and the Giants. No, the Mets they're a are a really like, flawed team. Right. And so you can get them. The Phillies, I do not think have near, they don't have nearly enough to do it. 
they needed many arms and did not get nearly enough arms. So I don't love what the Phillies are doing and what the Phillies did. Is there anybody else out there, any other contender that you're, that you feel like missed by or, or do you feel like didn't do enough? I feel like the Phillies, unfortunately, are kind of, kind of the big one up there. I think they are the big one because they don't have any sort of uh, like nothing defines that team besides futility and frustration right now. I don't think there's another team like them in the league right now, right? Like even the twins as disappointing as they are, at least they blew up big enough early enough to not expect anything. The Phillies are just like treading water with all their might to be 500 to catch a flawed Mets team. Uh, to not capitalize on an Atlanta team that lost their not just their top player, but like a top player in baseball. I don't know that there's any other contender out there. I mean, you can make a case for maybe like the Brewers, but they've already added Willie Adames, who's been incredible for them. Right. Uh, right. And, the... and they're just like a weird team in the sense that like they find pieces that fit together. Like Rowdy Tellez has been really good for them. Yeah. So them not making a huge move isn't that big of a deal. The A's made moves, like you said. The Astros made moves. Um, I guess the Padres, that's kind of disappointing, but they still have 60 wins, like we were saying. Right, and um, they did get Daniel Hudson, who we didn't mention earlier, and that's, that's a, true. that is a really good get for their bullpen. Yeah, that's that's a big deal for the back end of their bullpen, and more than anything, the back ends of games are going to be critical, right? Like, that's that's what teams will ultimately win with. And that really makes me think of the White Sox adding Craig Kimbrell at the expense of Nick Madrigal and Cody yeah. Hoyer. Ooh. That was a deal. That was maybe the most <laughs> exciting deal I saw come across my screen today. That was the one I was like most enthused to see them just go for it because they are so fun to watch. And now yeah. they've got Kimbrel and Hendricks to close out the ninth inning. Did you did you have a similar response where you're like, oh, good for them. Like they already have the central. So I guess they're just looking for October. Yeah, I mean, that's huge. They also got Ryan uh, Tepera, Ryan Tepera from the Cubs who has been awesome this year and last, and he's kind of has a surprisingly long track record of being a really solid bullpen arm. Their pen, their staff is nuts. They were a very complete team giving up Madrigal and and who are like, those are big pieces for the Cubs, like good on the Cubs. I feel like that's another one that like, that's the Eraldis Chapman trade 2.0, but going the other way for the Cubs or they get a big time middle infielder. And Magical wasn't going to help them now. And the and the White Sox, they're, they kind of have coverage, right? They have Cesar Hernandez, and they have a $6 million option on him for next season, so they can keep him if they want. Yep. And Kimbrell, they have him for not just this year, but next year. And and make no mistake, Craig Kimbrell is elite. He is the best closer in baseball, right? He's been the best closer in baseball all year. We may still so, think of him as being that, like, kind of a joke of a guy because he fell apart for that those two years. But he is back, and he is nasty and and putting him together with Liam Hendricks and Tepra and and Aaron Bummer and Garrett Crochet and Evan Marshall and everybody else who's in that bullpen along with that Kopech good guy Kopech is the other big guy like that's an they have an insane collection of arms to choose from I mean it's just that is a full team right now their color analyst Steve Stone mentioned on Twitter that like what a huge deal it was, of course, to add K- Craig Kimbrell, but also to do it without subtracting any piece that was a core piece for this year, right? Nick Madrigal, as much as he could have been considered a core piece, not more important than Eloy or Robert or Tim Anderson or Johan Moncada. <coughs> um, 
They have what, not there guys. and not there this year and like not going to help this year. He's, right. he's out for the season. So that's, you know, on top this of that, year he's gone. He's he's done for the year. So they're not missing anything with that. Cody Hoyer, they, it's not like you could really call him a core piece considering the other relievers they already have and the one they just added. And that was like, wow, like they are not screwing around. The, the point that I really saw being um, not bandied about, but coming up and, and sticking in my brain is that the White Sox right now could get through uh, conceivably the fourth inning and give teams a very, very difficult time closing out the game from the fourth inning before it's even official in the scorebook. The White Sox could put you in the corner and say you're not getting out. Yeah. And not to mention the fact that they actually don't need to because their starting rotation is awesome. Like yeah. Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodon and even like, you know, Lucas Giolito, if Lucas Giolito figures it out, finds himself again for the postseason, and Rodon's pitching this way, and Lance Lynn is is Lance Lynn is one of the guys that I would trust more so than maybe most others in the game right now in, in the postseason situation. And you even you even have Dallas Keuchel who you can go to and not worry about. Like Keuchel might be the guy that you want three innings from, and then you go to the pen. But like they have everything you need. I mean. The postseason is a crapshoot always, but they have absolutely everything that they need to win a World Series this year. The way that they ultimately solidified their pitching by bolstering it with Kimbrell, who has a .5 ERA, or sub .5 ERA, I think it's .47, who is striking out the second highest rate of batters he's ever struck out in his entire magnificent career. In addition to that, as good as the rotation could be, it's it's also in the bottom 10 right now on innings pitch, which is really kind of interesting. I, I didn't expect that. I expected them to be a little bit higher at just over 886. Uh, so they're 23rd in baseball. But like you're saying, they've got guys who are really good. Lance Lynn is a horse. Uh, Giolito, even when he's not great, is still has been palatable and good. Uh, Dallas Keuchel offers them something. like They have distinct shades there in the rotation. And any possible weakness that they could have had through the rotation, they've now really bolstered it with this bullpen. And that's just like, you don't really see teams make a bullpen like this. Even when the Yankees, who have struggled this year in their bullpen, when they've been so good basically the last two decades, didn't necessarily have two arms quite like Kimbrell and Hendricks. And the interesting thing to me about about Kimbrell, from that perspective, Say Madrigal is like a two-win guy next year, right? Say you value a win at about $8 million, give or take, with how recent spending has been, which always impacts it. That's about $16 million worth of value. That's what Kimbrel's option is next year for 2022. So this was not exclusively a 2021 move. They said, you know what? Madrigal's kind of this ancillary piece. Hoyer is definitely this ancillary piece. We can get a guy who can just knock the game out as soon as he comes in. Like 99% of the time, he enters from the outfield gate. He could close it out for us right then and there. That also seems like a big deal in term, in, a, in a similar vein as the Scherzer, as the Turner aspect of that deal for the Dodgers. Kimbrel can stick around in Chicago through 2022 on a team that has a legitimate chance to take the pennant in that league. Yeah, he's a difference maker. And like you said, it's two pennant races. And the White Sox, you know, credit the White Sox. They've been going for this, going after it all year. 
And they're the one team that didn't really have to, right? They've got their division. And there are a lot of other teams in the American League. You know, we talked about the AL East and, and the A's and Astros battling out in the West. The White Sox are pretty set. They've got that AL Central pretty well tied up. But that, they don't want to settle for that. And they, they've gone for all the pieces now. And they, they're going to be ready to go. And it's going to be an insane. I mean, I feel like, let me ask you this. Because on the whole, does this feel like a bigger deadline than, mo- than most years? I feel like oh. the, the, the shifting, the, the talent shift as, as, or like the talent drain from the bottom to the top of the league, this deadline has been just tremendous. And like all of a sudden the top teams have loaded up in such significant ways that we now have some real juggernauts and this postseason, it's like, I don't, man, I don't know. There are some really, really tough teams and there are, there are not easy outs. Now there are teams that are sneaking into the postseason. No. Now they are, it's just, it's juggernaut after juggernaut. Every single team expects to be there and expects to make a run. Right. Well, and that's, what's really interesting. This is absolutely the most exciting deadline that I can remember in recent history. Uh, nearly 40 trades were made, and almost all of them were really significant, uh, if not over 40, if, if I'm really discounting some of the lesser ones. Um, you know, in, in terms of this for the White Sox in general, they have struggled. Like, Andrew Vaughn's going to play second base tonight. That's crazy because they don't have uh, Cesar Hernandez just yet. So, uh, no, I, I, I was saying earlier today, like, there are going to be teams somewhere who don't have enough guys to play. Maybe it's in single A. Maybe it's in rookie ball. There's so many pieces moving. Yeah. I mean, the Nats traded over 30% of the roster. How are they going to have enough guys? They're playing the Cubs tonight. Who's going to play in that game? <laughs> Who's playing in the Nats versus they're, Cubs? Like, why even have those jersey names? Just like, you know, team A versus team B. Just have them do, do an inner squad. Sandlot style. Sandlot style. They'll, Sandlot. they'll have 10, 10 guys on the field. Uh, they'll just Here's I was thinking about showing up in a jersey and just like seeing if I could weasel my way in and be like, this is my this is my best I'm this is really my best shot. This is my best <laughs> shot at making this team. It's like, oh yeah, I've been on the taxi squad. I'm they they said to show up. In terms of uh how productive relievers are or can be, generally speaking, um you know, if, if you have a reliever who is worth a win or more by war, in this case, let's just use Fangraph's war for the year, that's like amazing. Uh, you know, that's really good. Generally speaking, there are not a ton of them. There's maybe, I don't know, by the end of the year in 2019, there were 47 of them with one or more. Uh, and, you know, you think about how many teams there are in baseball, there's 30. Think about how many bullpen pieces there are in each in each organization at the major league level at any given time. And, that, and a lot of teams are using four-man benches, so they're always adding that extra reliever. You do not see relievers this kind of productive. And now the White Sox in a team that we've criticized for not really going for it over the offseason and having paid not dearly, but paid an appropriate amount given all the uh, shakedown they had with injuries and the fiasco with Yarmin Mercedes. Now they're still leading their division and running away with it. And they have the best reliever in baseball this year in terms of productivity in Kimbrel. And number nine is Liam Hendricks. And they seem absolutely geared up. I, like that's, and that's, I guess, indicative of what you're saying in terms of how teams have gone for it. I think what we've seen are two things here. One is how the wild card is actually this year, right now, pushing teams to go for it. Because the NL West, if they don't get the division, they'll, like, somebody's going to fall into that wild card and they'll take it. Uh, the other thing it does 
on the flip side is incentivize the division, right? You don't want to be that team that gets caught in the one game playoff for everything. But for sure. even beyond that, you have teams like the Nationals who are like, we have to go in a different direction. Like the Twins who made a deal uh, with Jose Barrios going to the Jays for Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson. Great return for them by all measures. Going a different direction. And I think that is very interesting. So the, the division has been incentivized. The wild card has also done a little incentivizing. And teams have had to shift their directions. Does that seem like an accurate read? Or are we missing something? Are we not emphasizing one of those things enough? No, I mean, I think that seems, I think that seems about right. It's been, you know, a weird season for a lot of reasons. But especially coming out of the, the pandemic pandemic year, I think, I think teams really weren't expecting necessarily to have to go all in. And then as this deadline came about and like, I think most of us were expecting the trend to continue of to see prospects, not really move top prospects, not really move in these deals and, to, and for the team to be able to go out and get fill in the gaps, making kind of lesser trades think of like the Adam Frazier type of deal, like the Padres did actually, which, we also should mention in well, yeah, we should mention Denver that's relevant. Padres. But you know, those are the types of deals I think that teams were expecting. But I think as the Giants and and Padres and Dodgers started looking around and seeing like the Scherzer moves, the guys of real impact start to move. I do think that you know, rising tide lifts all ships, right? It's like I think that the the landscape changed very fast from a, a landscape of teams that were not willing to move move controllability and move lots of years of young prospects to being a landscape that was really pretty desperate to add impact talent less less their rivals get to it first and it was pretty cool to see pretty pretty fun that it was i mean i definitely can't remember a deadline like this that was two days long like starting from yesterday yeah. just like insane crazy stuff for two straight days well, and so like the Frazier deal was a big one and we did overlook that. So apologies, I guess, to a few minutes ago, but that's relevant for the Padres. That really solidifies their infield uh, and it gives them a guy who can get on base a ton. That's a huge deal in a lineup that scores in bunches like they do. Um, and even that one. And then I think that the, the Graveman one with the Mariners and the Astros uh, with Abraham Toro was kind of sneaky fun. And uh, Starling Marte, like we mentioned, with uh, going to the A's for Jesus Lazardo. That was like, to me, I was like, Oh wow, what a good deadline. And then the deals just kept coming. It was fascinating. <coughs> and all of these teams were doing all these different reinforcements, like the Red Sox making these tiny little tinkering adjustments, adding, adding, uh, adding a couple bullpen pieces, right. Uh, adding Kyle Schwarber, um, the Yankees. What do we make of the Yankees deadline? Adding Anthony Ooh. Rizzo, adding Joey Gallo. Is that like, is that going to move the needle for them? Like eight games back in the division? I mean, I don't think so. The Rizzo get is kind of interesting. The Gallo one makes sense because you got him for a year and a half. So I'm on board there. Rizzo is a great fit for them. But yeah, he's a free agent at the end of the year and certainly could choose to walk. <laughs> I don't, I mean, they're not too far back. They're only three and a half back. Plus they got Andrew Haney, which I feel like is a, is a, uh, it's real like favor to to Angels fans who can finally stop dreaming on Andrew Haney. Like God, <laughs> get them out of their misery. Finally, Angels fans can just forget about Andrew Haney, and he's the he's the Yankees problem now. But he's a fine fine piece for the rotation. 
You know, they didn't, the Yankees kind of fit into a category like the Braves to me and that even though they got bigger pieces, it didn't seem to me like they gave up quite the, the prospect talent that some other clubs did. I mean, the Cubs got some nice pieces for Rizzo, for sure. The Rangers got some nice pieces for, for Gallo, but none of them quite reached the level of a, like a Nick Madrigal. No, no, not yet. And that's, that's one thing that was very interesting that I saw various people saying online was that if you're going to cite the prospect rankings for what these teams are giving up, it's really important to see any midseason update. Um, which didn't always happen, but uh, you know the, the Yankee prospects did step up that they gave away. Uh, they did give away guys who who did make progress, but it wasn't guys like it wasn't Jason Dominguez, it wasn't Anthony Volpe, who's uh, an A ball down for them. Uh, their first rounder from a couple of years ago. I guess I'm just wondering. Uh, well, actually, the one thing that popped into my head when they traded for Gallo was that like Morty in Long Island, his head's gonna explode when he sees. <laughs> Like what kind of player Joey Gallo is, right? Like, well, we'll hear him on sports radio. Uh, it's gonna like the Chappelle black white supremacist bit. Uh, it's gonna be that kind of head explosion. Yeah. Uh, but again, like a quality player, and he's having a really good year again. But I don't know if it moves the needle enough because they're like seven games behind the Rays, who are in second. You have the White Sox running away with the Central, and then in the West, you have the Astros, A's, and still the Mariners being really pesky are they all have better records than the Yankees at least like two games game and a half and maybe they catch one of those teams but they seem to be in such a precarious spot where they could miss the wild card in the playoffs entirely yeah they they easily could and you know the A's made some really nice pickups this deadline the Astros didn't do a whole lot but the Astros didn't need to do a whole lot they did get no. Kevin Gossman and, and he does help <laughs> their uh he will help them for sure in that bullpen. But I, I really like what the A's did, some kind of low-key stuff, picking up Josh Harrison and Jan Gomes, getting Andrew Chafin, who's a really nice piece from the Cubs. Uh, Starling Morte is obviously the big one who, you know, if healthy, will be a really nice fit alongside Ramon Laureano and Marcana in that outfield and can really upgrade what's been a very weak spot for them in their lineup. So I don't, Absolutely. you know... Plus, they're the A's. They just they don't go away until the playoffs. Like you yeah. know, that's what they do. They'll be there in the playoffs, and then they'll lose. And so the Yankees still have to get there in order to beat them there. And I'm just not sure that they're going to. Even with these these additions, and they are nice additions. I don't know that I see it for the for the Yankees, especially because the Blue Jays had one of the biggest gets of the of the deadline, and the Blue Jays are right there with them. The Blue Jays picked up Jose Barrios. Yeah, fitting fitting a huge need for them. I mean. Talk about the perfect guy for a roster. The Blue Jays needed an arm like Barrios, and he's perfect for them. So they might be able to go on a, a little bit of a run. Now they've they got added, him in the rotation. And... They added good relievers. Like they added uh, Joachim Soria. They yeah. added um, the Brad Hand from the Nats. Yeah, Brad Hand from the Nats. And Hand has been, he struggled the last couple of weeks, right? But he's still been pretty good and effective overall this year. Soria has been sneaky good, kind of like he seems to always be. Maybe that's oh, yeah. like an East Coast bias thing, but uh, for a guy who's been around forever, he's still been really effective. He was just recently closing out games for the D-backs. And now, like, they've kind of bolstered the back end of their bullpen, which was, you know, they ran through some issues earlier this year with it. They added to what they absolutely needed to with the rotation. I feel like their ads were more particular and more, uh, like, addressed 
bigger needs for them as a club as opposed to the Yankees who are like, let's just load up. Like the Yankee outfield tonight is amazingly fun. It's Stanton, Judge, and Gallo. But like, <laughs> yeah, like the entertainment value is there, but I don't know how many yeah. wins they're going to put together for that team. And the, yeah. the Jays, if they still miss out on the playoffs, not as big a deal as if the Yankees do because that will be like an ugly situation. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's always ugly when the Yankees miss the playoffs, but I I do feel like the, the they were the Yankees were pretty clever about the whole thing. They they got a big name, they got a couple of big names, but they didn't make a big splash. And I mean it's weird to say that because they traded for Joey Gallo for goodness sakes and Anthony Rizzo. But after everything else that happened, it does feel like they didn't really make a huge splash the way some other teams did. And I just don't think that Joey Gallo does upgrade them as much as an arm like Barrios does the Blue Jays. And the Rays and Red Sox have been clearly better thus far. And, and you know, the Red Sox didn't do anything huge. Uh, the Rays made their big move already getting getting Nelson Cruz, but that is a big one for them. And, you know, they did some other typically Rays-y type things. And, yeah. I mean, my bet would not be on the Yankees making the playoffs right now if the season ended today. And, well, I, I, the season ended today, I wouldn't have to bet on it because they wouldn't make the playoffs. Right. <laughs> if I had to bet today, I would not bet on the Yankees making the playoffs. Yeah, and and it said that I didn't like their deadline, but they just, you know, I did like their deadline. They did fine. I just don't think that they did enough. Right. I don't think they they filled the the right needs, the, whereas well, the Blue Jays filled, as you said, the exact right needs. The, the the ground that they lost is so much harder to make up in that division than probably anywhere else right now. It's, I mean, maybe the the NL West, but the the Red Sox have been so good all year. The the Rays have been so good all year. You just don't have margin for error in that division right now with the way these teams are going. And I I don't know, like even seeing, oh, they were they were trying to move Luke Voigt. Like, I guess they're just frustrated with him and his injuries. But when he's on and healthy, he's incredible. Um, and they're, they're kind of, uh, you know, isolated out there on an island with the Stanton deal. Like nobody's trading for Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, they probably still want to try to extend Judge in one way, shape or form. Uh I just, I don't know. I wonder what the team looks like in 2022 if this doesn't work out. Like, I really wonder because, you know, now they were they were also looking for, like, a, a shortstop upgrade, right? To maybe move Glaber back to second, yeah. move LeMahieu to first. And it, like, they just have so many questions. And for a team that came in with uh, really what looked like a strong foundation, it just hasn't been as strong. They've been... Maybe even in more, they have more wins than the Phillies, but similarly futile, right? The way they've lost games and it's it's been rough. Uh, so I, I wonder what we'll get out of the Yankees. Uh, as as we were talking there, I just saw this pop up from the Athletic that um, Jacob Degrom has suffered a setback. He won't throw for two weeks. He's still dealing with inflammation in his throwing elbow. So um, I'll cry about that when we yeah. get off here. Uh, we don't have to talk about it too much now, but I figured worth noting as it. Yeah, I wrote a little bit about that for MLB trade rumors uh, earlier when I came when it first popped up, and it was uh. Did you? Nice. Yeah, I mean it's a big deal. He's shut down for another two weeks. You know, Trevor Williams is not the replacement they need necessarily for him, and I mean, no. <laughs> so as little no, as the Phillies and Braves maybe did, there is a window in the NL East. So we'll see. They, you know. The Mets are trying to hold on. The Yankees are trying to make a push. And we'll see which one 
can make it to the postseason. You know, my bet would be on the the Mets still because of the way Strowman is pitching. And again, you know, I, I do like the bias get for them, but you know, we'll see. It's a uh, there's still a lot of a lot of game left to play. Uh, you know, in terms of the uh, these, you know, we talked a lot about the contenders so far. The teams that have added, and obviously they're the the kind of showstoppers now. But you know. I do think that a lot of prospects moved that we didn't really expect. A lot of bigger name prospects moved than we expected. Of the teams that were really selling out, you know, the Twins, Cubs, Nationals were the big ones, I think. The Pirates were expected to sell but didn't have as much, you know. How do you think they fared? The the Twins, Nationals, and Cubs in particular of being the like the, the borderline contenders who had some big-time pieces to move and, and did move. Uh, I think the Cubs got – I joked – that when they got Nick Madrigal, uh, it was a double win for them because the player the fans will love him because yeah. he's like that gritty guy. Uh, but his stats won't be the kind that make him expensive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he's the double win in that regard. Uh, I think they did well. I think they went at least in a good direction in saying, screw it, everybody's gone. You know, Kimbrel, Tepra, um, it, Rizzo and Brian and Baez and all of those guys, they're gone. Even Mariznick, right? Like, we'll see you later, guys. Uh, we'll see you when you're back in town and we'll put something on the scoreboard for you. I think I don't know about their returns overall. Uh, I think I love what the Nationals did. I really do. Uh, I think the Twins did well for themselves, but I'm also curious, like, if they were moving Jose Barrios, what do they do with Kenta Maeda this winter? Like, do they keep him around? Like, Josh Donaldson isn't getting any younger. Uh, they, you know, the, the Kirilov is hurt. Who knows how he comes back from his wrist injury. Like they're in a weird position. I, I don't know that they really solidified their direction for a quick retool the way that maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought they would have moved some other guys. I mean, the half return is fine. Getting John Gant swapping in a younger version, you know, yeah. a younger arm for, for half is fine. Yeah. I love the return for Barrios. I really love that return. Getting Simeon Woods Richardson back, even though he's had kind of a tough year. Is, is huge for them. I think he, he's, you know, he can be, he could actually be a guy that does replace Barrios, which is a huge task because he's the best arm that they've developed in, you know, who knows how long. Plus they got um, Austin yeah. Martin, who might be my favorite prospect of anybody who's moved, who, who got moved today. I love Austin Martin. And he's always, he always hits. He hits wherever he goes and he can play. He's going to be these guys. It feels like he has, doesn't have a position but I just think that means he has all the positions. He plays shortstop, he plays center, he plays third. His college numbers have been were huge. He dropped; they put him right into Double A, and he continued to hit. That's not an easy task to make that jump directly from college to Double A and to and to keep putting up numbers the way he did. Uh, you know, a solid plus three fifty, three fifty plus OBP and a plus four something, you know, slugging percentage. He's looked good, and. I think he's a great get for them. He's a great guy for, for the twins who can kind of fit him in wherever. And the twins have a lot of kind of mismatched pieces right now coming up. So, you know, I think he's going to be a piece that really fits for them. And they, and he's close to being ready as well. The timeline works for him and for Simeon Woods Richardson. Um, they're not, I think their timeline is more realistic than what the twins are probably thinking. And though both those guys could be in the majors next year, probably more like contributing regulars the year after that, you know, which is when you might look yeah. at Royce Lewis being but up like, there and Kirilov actually being a significant piece and Larnack maybe 
being a significant piece and that's a good little return for them. Yeah, I, I do. You're right. I wish they would have moved some of those more veteran pieces. I mean, Donaldson is owed so much money. Maybe they didn't really find anything for him. And Maeda is out. So, you know, maybe there wasn't as much there. They did move Hansel Robles for, you know, something. I'm not even sure what they got in return for him, but, you know, some salary relief and nothing else. So I think they did well with what they did decide with the moves that they did make. And they have some time on the other on the other step. I mean, Buxton is going to be the big one. Do they move him in this in the in the winter? What can they get the Phillies to send for that for him? <laughs> Do the Phillies even what have anything worthwhile? Right, exactly. <laughs> maybe maybe they can sign the newly acquired Freddie Galvis <laughs> to an extension and <laughs> ship him off to Minnesota. Freddie for Galvis. Byron Freddie Galvis. Buxton. He's my. I mean, it's perfect that he should go to the Phillies because he's my my barometer for if he's starting for you, you're not a playoff contender. <laughs> if Freddie Gallows is on your team, you're not a contender. So it's perfect <laughs> that he should go to the Phillies. I, I love that. <laughs> and that's just, yeah. that's just perfect. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I also, I, I have talked about this. I think I've mentioned it twice already, but if there was a team that Jesus Lazardo could go to, to get fixed, I would pick the Marlins. I think with the way that they have run their player and pitcher development, especially like that rotation has done, some absolutely crazy things in the last couple of years. Like your guy, Trevor Rogers, has been enormous this year for them. Uh, currently out with some back issues, but the rest of that rotation as it's come together, Sandy Alcantara has been great. Uh, Zach Thompson has been out of nowhere and has two really good pitches. Um, Pablo Lopez has been good uh, and just a lot of fun to watch. And to me, in, in one way, this also says to me like, uh, yeah, maybe we're, you know, Maybe we're kind of over Sixto Sanchez, or maybe we need to really like buttress ourselves here in the event he doesn't come back fully the way we think he could before he was hurt. Uh, but you know, Lizardo is more of a return than uh, for a rental than you would expect. Maybe not after seeing all these other deals come through, but definitely more than you would expect for a couple months of Starling Marte, uh, and. That is really valuable. Like they get a couple of years to see what he is. That's more than you know whatever other rental type prospect you get, like other teams did uh, for some of their guys. Like like you know they didn't get like the Chris Bryant return for Starling Marte. They got like a legit player who was a top prospect and who seemed to kind of fall apart. If they can maybe fix the way his fastball moves, that could be a huge deal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and maybe you move six to now, and and he's a piece that you used to actually get some some bats in there. Yeah, or or even Pablo Lopez uh, or Sandy Alcantara, who are both, you know, pretty young. Lopez is only 24, and uh, Alcantara is 25, almost 26. So, like, teams would fork over oh, yeah. a lot for those guys, right? Like, I think they sneakily yeah. position I mean, and Luzardo really well. is one of – a lot of teams ended up getting guys that you really – that fit their profiles perfectly, this, this deadline. Luzardo is one of them. Guys just, that, yeah. that just, like – seem to fit their new club like a glove and that's you know the brewers getting john curtis and and uh eduardo escobar it's just like <laughs> that's exactly what you expect out of them the uh my favorite i think is uh jordan luplo going to the rays like has there ever been a more raising player than jordan luplo <laughs> just a dude who just like no. does one thing really well just like crushes <laughs> crushes left-handed pitching doesn't do anything else well he's a fringy center fielder who 
who was a good defender in the corners, maybe can't handle the center field, just like all their other outfielders who aren't Kevin Kiermaier. Just like if there was ever a player <laughs> destined to go to the race, I feel like Jordan Luplo is the guy. Like what a perfect get for them. Yeah. The Giants easy, got Tony Watson, pick. who they've uh-huh. had what? They've had him four or five times, right? I, I, I feel like, is he always there or is just somebody just like him always there? The Cardinal. He's got his own entrance to the locker oh, yeah. room at this I mean, point. there's just a lot of, there's a lot of teams got exactly kind of what you expect. The Phillies did exactly the type of thing we expect the Phillies to do. The A's got very A's guys getting Jan Gomes and Josh Harrison. Yeah. I do like that. The, the pieces for this deadline really did fit in a lot of ways for pretty much every team. And it was a lot of fun to see. It was a great, like a great time to witness. I hated how much time I was spending in front of my phone, but I also loved seeing how like how much it was actually shifting the the landscape for the stretch run. And that's not something we get every year, so it was really thrilling in that sense. Um, you know, we touched on, uh, you know, like we said, more than forty trades coming through. We touched on a ton of them. Is there anybody who sticks out? We talked about contenders. We liked what they did. We talked about the the sellers. We liked what they did. Anything sticks out to UTC uh, where we could wrap up now and then touch base again with everybody early next week as we plan to maybe uh, again, you know, continue to assess this deadline and what. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just going to take a minute to figure this all out. Figure what this landscape looks like now. I think. You know, clearly we have a limited number of actual contenders now, and, and like even our playoff field is almost pretty clearly set. There are some other teams set, that have yeah. done some really interesting things that we can that are now interesting again for the first. I feel like the Cubs and Nats and the Twins are interesting again, like after maybe just a season or two yeah. or, or even a half yeah. season of not really being there and and falling into this middle place. They are now interesting again, and they really they took some right steps in the in the right direction and you know, they get to be kind of on the rebuild side of what's interesting in baseball for the next half a season and maybe don't have super long rebuilds. We'll see. But, you know, I think Tuesday or, or Monday, whenever we get together again, we can kind of do, take a more, you know, systematic, comprehensive approach to this to really see what trades got made. But on the whole, I think it was a really surprising, surprising deadline. And, you know, the teams that we wanted to see got better, mostly got better. And the teams that we expected to sell sold. And somehow, somehow things went exactly as we expected. And that was the most surprising thing. Yeah. And also the most fun. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that a nice little bit? Um, So in the meantime, before we catch up with everybody early next week, TC, where can we find you online? And and who knows? Uh, Yeah. I filled in a bunch of trade stuff on MLB trade rumors, uh, you know, just wrapping up deadline stuff. So go, you know, check out all the recaps there to see all the the details, financial details and all that stuff of all the moves that have happened Uh, Saturday morning. I'll be writing there uh, just kind of a recap, a July recap kind of, you know, deadline headlines for, for the national league. Uh, That'll go up Saturday morning to try to give us some sense of, you know, you know, what does this league look like now? And, uh, you know, otherwise find me Twitter at TC Zanka, you know, find me in the, in the picture list discord, you know, find me walking around the DMV area, just, you know, wandering. (laughs) (laughs) You can find me at Tim Jackson says on Twitter, uh, I'll have a new depth charts piece out, uh, for off the charts for BP on Monday. Uh, I'll have, um, I'll have a fantasy freestyle coming Wednesday. 
Um, you know, we'll be talking early next week. You can find us at the pod at breaking pod PL. Of course, email us at breaking pod PL at gmail.com. Uh, rate us five stars. Leave us a wonderful comment. Uh, again, so thankful to be back with you. Uh, the, the two of us, it's been a few weeks, so we really appreciate you guys uh, coming through and, and listening to uh, TCM Max uh, a couple weeks ago with Joe Ross. That discussion was really interesting, and uh, maybe we've got something to frame it with, which is I agree now. Uh, but again, now that we're back, we're we're so happy you're back with us. Uh, we can't wait to talk to you guys again next week. And uh, until then, have uh, the best days possible. We'll see you then, everybody.